Good afternoon. It is time once again for an episode of Never Punt, Comma, Never Parlay. Uh, I'm your host, Parker Fleming. Alongside me, my friend and colleague, Douglas Farmer. Douglas, how much are you enjoying this uh, Rutgers-Miami game that's going on right now as we are uh, getting in some picks? If you saw me straining as we went live, it was because I was moving my tablet off my keyboard to keep an eye on that game. I'm not going to – I'm here for the podcast. I'm dedicated to the craft, but I'm not going to ignore – what looks like a very promising bet that we have here on Never Punt, Never Parlay as we continue a very successful bowl season. Yeah, and uh, going pretty, pretty great so far. If uh, my numbers are correct, we're at uh, nine and six combined. That's a plus, uh, what, 3.68, 3.7 units there. Uh, and that's without the Rutgers uh, right. game and that looks like it's going our way. Not home yet. It's not home yet. Got out to a nice lead. We're at halftime now. But yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to hope that Rutgers can get to maybe a three possession lead at the very end of this show. And we can start counting that before it's even home. Love that for us. Can I just point out, I don't think that nine and six for bowl season counts my army win, which could be, well, you know, the, the army, army, Navy, maybe Boy, a postseason game. So maybe we're 10 and six uh, with, with was, some profit there, but I was trying to be diplomatic and not point out the disparity in our results here, but it sounds like you're reaching to try to help yourself out. I considered army, you uh, building a cushion on your regular season lead. You had me by 0.2 units in the regular season. Army put you up more than a unit on me in the regular season, but all in all, it's whether you count that as bowls or regular season, I'm going to go ahead and pat us on the back. We've had a uh, successful few months here. Another punt, another parlay. Yeah, it's, it's not been bad. It's really, really good. And uh, it's, you know, just a testament again to shopping, finding the best odds and, uh, I, I think, and what's fun about that is that we've had, um, you and I have both had skunk weeks. So we have what a collective zero and six between the two of us where both of us just had bad weeks. And it's kind of what happens with betting. You're going to be good. You're going to be bad, but you got to trust the process and keep it, uh, keep it rolling. So we've certainly done that Douglas today. We are going to do, um, the rest of the bowls. If you've been with us this season, <clears throat> Excuse me. If you've been with us this season, we've been doing about 10 bowls a, a, a day uh, on each show. This week, uh, we're going to get through the Cotton Bowl all the way to the Sugar Bowl. So New Year's Six, some of the big games, and then a couple uh, a couple fun ones in there that are, that are sprinkled later in January. But we're going to hit those games today. And then next week, Douglas, I, I think the way we'll promote this is we're going to do some national championship stuff. Um, absolutely. We'll be here for that. We are working on cool and interesting programming ideas. So I think the best way to make sure you catch all that is to subscribe to the hit the books HQ YouTube channel, which is what we are a part of. Uh, you'll get notifications when the show happens um, and, uh, and know exactly what we're going to be doing uh, throughout the, uh, throughout, throughout the national championship and all that coming up. And uh, so just make sure you subscribe there. That's going to help us out. And, you know, while you're here, throw throw a like on the video that just helps us out with the algorithm and making sure that everything uh, gets to the people who want to uh, want to see it. Whew. Douglas, anything else where we dive into this first bowl game? Um, no, aside from once again, patting ourselves on our back, hey, Parker, I just in one season for us to be up 11 and a half units and counting, I I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm quite pleased. And the goal today is to add, let's not get greedy. Let's add two or three units. I think we've got seven plays total. Let's, let's just try to go five and two or four and three in these. I like it a couple. I, I do feel like I got a little bit of action. Um, this is, you know, four plays, four plays in a week is big for us. We've been doing three a week. Um, also not again, I'm not, I'm not tooting our own horn, whatever, but like, we are only doing three plays. We haven't only been doing three plays a week and, and to be up that much on a fixed kind of schedule is, is certainly something that I enjoy. I'm happy about that. Uh, so been good, been good. Um, okay. Well then 
our, our, our self-congratulating aside, let's uh, let's actually get into some of these bowl games first. Let's go to Dallas, Douglas, uh, with the, the the part of the country some people are calling the desert for Ohio State <laughs> and Missouri. This uh, you missed that uh, Ohio State's uh, social media intern was not quite uh, didn't didn't pass geography uh, evidently. A follow up to that: not only did Ohio State social media intern claim they're in the desert. Did you see Notre Dame's social media team then when they landed in El Paso? You know, a little bit more of the desert said, we've landed in the desert, wink emoji. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> I love that. Um, that's that's great because that's just like two college seniors, you know, a college senior being petty uh, about the, <laughs> another team. So, But uh, the Ohio State is playing Missouri here. This line's been all over the place. Ohio State, you know, up up big and then moved to Missouri. And now there's a little bit of buyback on, on Ohio State. I think we're seeing it, um, what is this, three, three and a half right now some places? I think we saw this go field goal to other field goal and back, which I can't think of. And I'm not a bowl game historian, but that's that's the kind of seesaw that you don't see. We are back to Ohio State by three and a half. And I'm not playing this game, Parker, but I wouldn't hate it if you talked me out of a personal Missouri Moneyline bet because I can see that coming from a mile and a half away. Yes, and I like it. Okay, everything is lined up there for um, the vibes and the motivation and Drinkwitz has been really good. Missouri has been so good with uh, Luther Burden and they brought in Theo Weiss, just another example of a great transfer uh, that really kind of freed up a team, uh, kind of changed the gravity of the offense and let Brady Cook distribute the ball to those two guys. I think they've combined for like 58% of targets on the team there. Cody Schrader has um, 3.6, I believe, yards after contact as the running back there. Just a really, really good offensive unit from Missouri. I think the problem is that Ohio State's strength this year has been the defense, even with the opt-outs, they're super talented. Um, Ohio State with over 200 points in teams in terms of team talent composite advantage over Missouri here. Their defense, fifth in EPA per play, eighth in EPA per rush, eighth in EPA per pass, first on third and fourth down success, Douglas 21st on early down. So Ohio State, very, very stout. I think Jim Knowles, with almost a month to prepare, is going to be really, really hard for Missouri to, to, to really dial up that sustained success. And look, I like Missouri. I, I think they've been good. I, I believe I talked a little bit about a win total over for them. I think they were priced too low this year, but that might have uh, been their wins haven't that might have been your very first bet on the show. No joke whatsoever. We started with the SEC in the Sun Belt. That might have been the first bet you made on Never Point Never Parlay. Yeah. Um and, and and I like it. And I'm able to um I'm happy to, you know, take that, take that victory lap. But I'm also here to say their wins weren't exactly super impressive. I think their best game was probably losing to Georgia by six. I mean, the Tennessee game was great, but it's Columbus and I don't know. So not to besmirch them or whatever, but I, I do think that there's there, I'm staying away from this because of exactly what you mentioned, the vibes, the, the bowl game weirdness all trend towards Missouri, but the defense on Ohio state, I think they have the athletes on offense, even with the opt-outs and they have, um, you know, the time to prep on defense to really get after this Missouri team. I, I, I it's just hard for me to put money on Missouri here. I think what I just heard you talk me into might be a first half under, and then simply for entertainment value, I'll hope the game is close late and we can enjoy it. But your description there of Knowles with a month to prepare, that that really suggests it could be a 10-0, 10-3 first half. And that I, I can see a way to maybe pay for a bar tab before I even go out tomorrow night. Don't don't hate that at all, especially, I mean, the, yeah, so, so Ohio State's going to have some opt-outs, right? That ninth and EPA per play on offense, they're not going to be that good of a unit. But uh, Missouri's defense is, is 48. Um, right. So I think that Ohio State could still score. 
this is a dumb question. I swear in one of today's games, I heard the announcer crew say Marvin Harrison Jr. hasn't opted out yet. Is there any expectation in your mind that top three overall draft pick Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to play tomorrow? Now? Um, I I don't know, man. Syracuse fan 420 on Twitter said that he was going to go to Syracuse and not go to the NFL draft. So who knows? Uh, who knows what he's going to do? <laughs> you know, he did go to high um, school with new Syracuse quarterback Kyle Gordon. I don't know if you heard that. Um, yeah, but I, I think that, um, I, I really don't have a lean on whether he's going to play. I think that, you know, if he plays, certainly it's going to matter, but, uh, Ohio state still being favored despite kind of Missouri. Um, and maybe the buyback suggests that the market believes he's, he's at least going to be involved. Yeah. I, I have to be surprised. Uh, I'd be surprised if he wasn't on a pitch count. I, it could be, it could run counter. And quite frankly, it could run aggressively counter to my first half underthought. So I will be most likely waiting to get a read on him. I will be shocked if he plays, just knowing the world as it is. But it seems to be still in consideration. Our our next game, moving forward to Saturday, December 30th, I don't know of any looming opt-out questions for Penn State and Mississippi. Penn State opened as a field goal favorite. That's now up to four and a half. And you've got some thoughts here that I'm surprised by. Interesting. Well, I, I'm, I'm actually going to go with uh, with Mississippi here. I think that um, their their opt outs are not, um, you know, super problematic. Um, but I do think that, you know, Penn State changing both um, coordinators on both sides of the ball. Uh, Chop Robinson not going to play. Uh, Fashanu, the tackle is, is potentially not going to play or be on a pitch count there. Um, what I like about Lane Kiffin's offense, one, aside from the vibes in the transfer portal, is um, I really do think that they have a nice mix of pass and run ability that's going to stretch out this Penn State defense really, really nicely. Uh, the Rebels are 23rd in early downs EPA. Penn State is third on defense. They can kind of extend those explosive plays early. I think they'll be able to score. Um, and then on defense, the you know, the the the, the Rebels defense is not super balanced, 25th in EPA per pass, 57th in EPA per rush, but neither is Penn State's offense. Penn State's run game has been quite poor, 26th uh, overall in uh, in EPA per rush. They've uh, relatively poor, I should say. They're 17th in EPA per pass. So if, if the Rebels can really put a lot of pressure on the pass game and, and kind of bottle that up, we've seen Penn State really needs a lot of help with field position, with turnovers, with nonsense to uh, to score when it when it counts. And so I think that there's a lot of pressure that the Rebels can put on Penn State here. Um, and the fact that really they're, you know, with, with Kwashan Judkins um, and, and, and Jackson Dart, I mean, I think, I think Mississippi is, is one play away from a touchdown basically perpetually. And so um, I, I like the explosiveness there. I think Penn state with the coordinator turnover might not look as sharp. And so I'm going to go with the underdog here. I'm going to take the four and a half uh, or is it four and a half or, or six and a half? I, it's four and a half. Okay. I know it's moved a little bit, You're looking um, ahead again. Uh, but but four and a half minus one Oh five at fam duel. I'm going to take Mississippi uh, here in, in this one. My concern is, and now this is going to sound harsher than it should. I have no personal knowledge here. It's just my read has the uh, Mississippi coaching staff moved on to 2024. They've got this transfer portal class coming in. That is all the talk in the sport and has them clearly looking like a playoff contender in the 12 team playoff next year. I'm not convinced the coaching staff has spent time readying for this game. And frankly, understandably so, given the ceiling they've raised on 2024. But if that's the case, part of Lane Kiffin's 
usual schematic advantage could be out the window. And that's where I worry here as, as the bit of a motivation aspect for me in this one, it's the coaching staff. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I can actually talk myself into the opposite of that, knowing kind of that, you know, Saban-esque domination in a bowl game uh, sets you up for, I mean, we're talking about top 10 Mississippi in 2024. We might be talking about it. We might be a, a storyline or a player or two away from top five Mississippi in 2024. And that all starts, I think, with a big win here. So certainly something to watch for and the motivation factor. Um, again, Good thing about bowl season is it'll be pretty apparent who's ready to play. And uh, you can always take some live action there to uh, to recoup or, or hedge for sure. But I'm going to ride with Mississippi here for my first play today. Douglas, that's that's a long time on a game there. Let's uh, let's keep it rolling and uh, travel just a little bit north up to Nashville. Auburn and Maryland are playing in the Music City Bowl. And speaking of opt-outs, we're Ooh. looking at... Maryland without their starting tight end, uh, without uh, one of their second most involved running back, without a starting linebacker, um, without a starting cornerback, without a quarterback, Talia Tagovailoa, without another starting cornerback. Uh, man, it looks like Maryland just has absolutely nothing in the tank uh, for, for this season uh, finale here in this Music City Bowl. What are your thoughts on this game? I'm going to have a play here in a second. I know what your play is, obviously, and I'm going to agree with it partly because uh, for all his faults in this world, Hugh Freeze, when he has time to coach up a team, when he has time to plan ahead, Hugh Freeze is pretty stinking good at getting the game going his way. You look at Maryland's opt-outs, you're underselling it. It is a long list and it is a meaningful list. Maryland is going to have some motivational issues in this game, whereas Auburn, furthermore, I suspect Auburn will have a little bit of home field advantage in Nashville, not only the location, but this is a fan base that we know all too well is a little loco and they're going to relish an opportunity to go to a bowl game again. And I think those things really line up to support what you're about to say as your play. I will point out this opened at three in Auburn's favor. It's up to six and a half. So we've moved across two key numbers and we're coming up on a third. Yeah, so definitely want to grab it before it gets too crazy overall. But the Maryland offense, 24th in EPA per play, 28th in, in uh, pass, 29th in rush. They, they, they're going to be much worse. They're just going to be without Talia there at the quarterback position. And what I really like about Auburn on offense here is they're um, 111th in rush rate over expected, but they're 36th in EPA per rush. Maryland is 52nd here. Uh, I go back to you know, Hugh Freeze in bowl games. I think about 2020 when Coastal Carolina was so good. The first team that had more than a week to prepare for them was Hugh Freeze at Liberty, who was able to take care of that offense and kind of dismantle them. I think that they'll be able to put it together a solid game plan, play uh, just smash mouth running football here. They have got better athletes. The motivation is definitely in their favor. Um, and so I'm going to ride with Auburn and Hugh Freeze is the favorite here. Normally, I would try to mount some version of a devil's advocate and tell you that, hey, six and a half is a big number. Neg 110 at Caesars and FanDuel, as producer Jacob points out. But when we get to bowl games, sometimes it's just get out of the way and acknowledge that one side should have all the advantages. Now, things might get fluky. Bowl games, we've seen it. But I'm not, I'm not going to try to mount any version of devil's advocate, try to challenge your thinking. I'm on board with you on that one entirely. Yeah, I think this one this one seems seems straightforward. So of course it's going to go the other way, and Maryland's yes. going to win by forty. But uh, I do think that this is a, this this would make sense as as we got the more physical team with a little bit more motivation and fewer opt outs. Douglas, 
Speaking of opt-outs, we don't let's, have to spend a long time on this. Game. Let's just let's just say Carson Beck is playing in the Orange Bowl, and otherwise, any name you know between Georgia and Florida State is probably not. I think that's the summation of the opt-out list for that game. If we spend the rest of the show reading through it, it really would be the rest of the show. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I don't have an edge. I don't have an angle. I don't have anything on this. It's um, uh, honestly, it's it's. Uh, the, the, there are clear incentives for these guys to move. Uh, I think the line's gone super towards Georgia, and it that opened makes a at lot of 13, sense. We're closing in on twenty. Uh, that makes sense. It. The question becomes: Georgia turn like does Georgia score defensive touchdowns to make this a twenty-eight or thirty-five point game instead of a twenty-one point game? Yeah, and and um, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida State just lined up in the I formation and and ran it off tackle three times in a row and let the clock run down and then punch it every time just out of spite. Uh, I'm kind of rooting for it, honestly. I think that's that would be appropriate here. But yeah, so many opt outs, not not really worth our breath, I believe, to to cover that one in depth. Let's go to one that I'm very excited about, as unexcited as I am about that orange bowl. I think I might be equally as excited in the Craig bowl, uh, just career celebration party here with Wyoming and Toledo down in Tucson for the Arizona bowl. Uh, Wyoming is, uh, opened it at minus one. It's moved. Uh, well, I, Wyoming, I Wyoming like opened a as a dog. Oh, Wyoming. Yes. Wyoming plus one, excuse me. It's moved all the way to three and a half. I think at one point it was four, maybe a little bit buyback. Uh, but obviously you want to shop there. Um, Douglas, uh, Toledo without Taquan Finn. Notably, without um, cornerback uh, uh, Quinion Mitchell as well, and their starting left guard, looks like Wyoming is going to be more or less uh, full strength what they've been the last couple of days. And certainly, we know that Craig Bowl has announced he's going to retire after this game. So, uh, seems pretty obvious where the motivation is going to be. What are your thoughts on this game? My thoughts on this game were: as soon as DeQuan Finn opted out, you've got to be leaning Wyoming in the first place, and and then you have the Greg Bowl news. That's not a small thing. Like it's a legendary coach, a program building coach announcing his retirement. If you want to find a team with focus and motivation for the month of December, that's how you find it. Uh, Parker, I look at your numbers. You've got Wyoming favored by three, even if Daquan Finn was playing. And all of this builds to, yes, I am taking as an official play Wyoming at three and a half. I believe it's available at Neg 105 at BetMGM and FanDuel. And heck, I'm getting that little bit of juice at Neg 105. I, I even enjoy that that much more. That's why we shop. That's why we use betstamp.app to shop. I am leaning into this game a good amount, to be quite frank. It is going to be personally my biggest play of the actual weekend, counting Monday as part of the weekend. It Toledo's well coached. I think I, wow, I, I've never said a nice thing about Jason Candle before. Um, I nope, no stroke. I'm here. I'm good. They're a pretty well coached team, but I don't, I, all the doubt I've ever had in Jason Candle, it's going to carry forward a little bit here. Like how are you going to counter what is going to be a very well focused Wyoming team? Yeah, I think uh, this is a huge motivation gap. It is a testament to the actual talent gap between Toledo and Wyoming that this has not gotten more towards Wyoming, I think um, overall, but if Wyoming can play a mistake free game, if they can capitalize on the fact that they are 69th in EPA per rush and Toledo is 96th in EPA per rush allowed, I think we're going to get a really good shot here for Wyoming to, to handle business here. Trying to look at your numbers on my smaller screen. It's really going to come down to, as always, finishing drives for Wyoming. And can they get 
enough quality drives, and that will again come down to schematic uh, scheming up ahead of time. But this is a team that really puts together a quality drive only a third of the time. Get that to half the time, this game could get lopsided. But it's it's that, and that really it's three out of nine drives or five out of nine drives. We're talking two possessions, but turn two more into quality drives, and Wyoming should be set because when they get there, they finish them. They just don't get there that often. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a game of opportunity here, and if Wyoming can. Uh, just just finish those drives and again avoid uh, you know m- mistake free football. They are 38th in starting field position. Toledo is 83rd in starting field position allowed. So uh, lots of opportunities for Craig Bull there. And I will personally be rooting for a Craig Bull send off. I like that one a whole lot. Let's talk about another one before we get to some of these uh, the rest of these playoff games. We've got um, three three more pretty 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 interesting games. Games of interesting level. Uh, or varying interest level. Uh, Reliac West Bowl down in Tampa. LSU uh, minus nine uh, versus Wisconsin. I think that's nine and a half currently now with an over is 55 and a half um, as well. Of course, for LSU, you're you're not going to have Jaden Daniels, the Heisman winner. The incentives are there. He might go first round. No reason for him to play um, and to opt out there. You're also looking at Wisconsin missing some key pieces, uh, particularly a couple, a couple very involved receivers. Uh, they'll be missing, I think, three linemen, starting cornerback Jason Matry, running back Braylon Allen. Um, it gets it gets very, very thin very, very quickly. And I think that's really where my angle on this one's going to come from. You look at Wisconsin, uh, aside from their number one cornerback, uh, everybody else that's played any kind of meaningful running uh, coverage snaps is at a 60 or below grade. They've been very, very poor there. Do not think they can cover neighbors and Thomas. I don't even think they can cover LSU's backups in the past game. Nussmeyer is one of the better backups in America. I think that the offense is going to look different. Denbrock's gone. Of course it's going to look different, but they're going to be able to out-athleticism, uh, out-athlete Wisconsin in such a way that Wisconsin won't be able to catch up, even on Wisconsin's rushing game uh, on offense, where they're going to try to have to score here. They're 23rd in EPA per rush. No Allen. You lose a couple running backs. They're they're 93rd in quality possession rate. They're 56 in, in finishing those drives. I think LSU is just going to be able to outpace them. This is the number one offense with Daniels in terms of um, – EPA per play. And, you know, the gravity does change a little bit, but like I said, I don't think the passing efficiency is going to drop very much. And I think LSU will be able to attract uh, or put a lot more attention on defense on the front seven on stopping that run game, give that back uh, defensive backfield a little bit of room to breathe. I'm going to go LSU. My notes for this Douglas were LSU minus anything. I'm going to take them minus nine and a half. That's minus 118 at FanDuel. Give me the Tigers, even without Jaden Daniels to cover here. It's really quite a shift going into bowl season. Before we had the bowl matchups, I had two games I was highlighting. One was fade Ohio State. The other was fade LSU on the opening numbers. And I didn't do either because of the matchups they landed. In this instance, you look, I knew LSU was going to lose all these players, and I didn't think the opening number would compensate for that. And it opened at neg nine, and it's now neg nine and a half. It has compensated for that. My understanding, Parker, of the Wisconsin receivers room is – I am wearing Wisconsin colors right now. I do have pre- – I'm slow. I'm not big, but I've got pretty good hands. I think they could get half a dozen snaps out of me in this game and be grateful for it. When you look at LSU's LSU as a team, its greatest weakness far and away is defending the pass. Well, if there's no receivers to throw the ball to, you don't have to defend the pass. And now LSU can really focus on Wisconsin. Still has a decent run game and should have some management in that respect, but it won't be enough to keep pace with with what LSU is going to be able to put together. And that's where I really lean into this one. And and I think 
nine and a half might not be enough, and I'm not going to outline it because bowl game outlining is a risky endeavor, but it could be a live play where I see, oh, yeah, Wisconsin had three three and outs. LSU's up only 10-0. Give me LSU by 21 live because if Wisconsin can't move the ball at all, it's never going to move the ball at all. Yep, that's uh, that's totally fair, and I think that's absolutely – on the table. Um, Douglas, here's another one. Speaking of just a, a little bit of strategy here, another one that I, I, I've given out earlier this week, but I don't think that I have a play on at this moment. Iowa was uh, plus eight against Tennessee in the Citrus Bowl. Obviously, t- for Tennessee, Joe Milton has uh, opted out. I don't think that someone with his draft profile necessarily wants to go against the Iowa offense. And say say Iowa what you want to say. We all know what you want to say, Parker. Future um, number one overall draft pick, Joe Milton. Number one overall draft pick doesn't want to go. Uh, doesn't want to go against Iowa. There, they, you know, the freshman Nico is going to take over um, for that. I, I don't love that situation for Tennessee. I don't love that. Twenty-seven percent of their uh, offensive completions, or excuse me, offensive dropbacks came from screens um, because I think that for screens to work, you need to execute blocks on the perimeter really well, and you need to make your opponent miss tackles. And I don't think that's something Iowa's defense does. We're looking at a low scoring game. We're looking at a very frustrating game for Tennessee's offense. They really don't have the dudes at wide receiver. They did last year. Um, not, not a lot, lot to like for me about this game, especially moving from eight down to, you know, you're seeing that's five, um, six and a half uh, overall. So was on Iowa when it was a little bit bigger, but this close and, and how, how low it's gotten. Uh, I don't, I don't love the play as much. I, when I said Wyoming was going to be the game I had the most on, I wasn't sure. Like, I want nothing to do with Iowa, Tennessee. It will probably be on one of my TVs, but I can't guarantee that I, the only way I find interest in this game is if Brian Ferentz decides to crack open a 40 on his way out. If, if that's how this ends, then I will be interested. Otherwise, I have no desire whatsoever to watch this Citrus Bowl. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what they put out there. I mean, theoretically, Hypo versus Ferenz is, uh, versus Phil Parker is a nice like offensive-defensive battle. But, yeah, limited troops here for, for Tennessee, especially without Milton. Um, but, hey, you know, maybe the freshman goes off. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. There's a lot, there's a lot not uh, – a lot, a lot not playing for, for Tennessee. So uh, good for the freshman to get some reps, good for him to break it in, but no no play for me, and, and I agree. Not a, not a ton of interest. The Fiesta Bowl, however, on at the same time, will have my interest because one of my notes as soon as bowl matchups were announced was Oregon minus anything. There is no number big enough where I'm not taking Oregon against Liberty. And then we surprisingly, in my opinion, surprisingly get Bo Nix and Bucky Irving playing. I'm assuming Bo Nix's NIL deal included some bowl game add-on, and that's why he's playing, which, hey, get what you can. That's just my gut instinct. If he and Bucky Irvin are playing, there is no number big enough to stop me from taking Oregon. I will gladly take it at 16.5. Getting that at under 17 is great, but I'll take it to 20. I, I am all over this, but 16 and a half, neg 110. It's available at Caesars and FanDuel. We always specify which books to help you get to them quicker if you're trying to tail us. And again, we're having a nice bowl season. But for me, this is Oregon till there's nothing else to be said about this game. Liberty, you had a great season against absolutely nobody. And Oregon was very much a playoff caliber team who somehow has kept their depth chart intact for this game. Yeah, I, I, I think that I agree with this, and I had talked myself out of it a little bit because well, I can paint a picture very easily of, like, we just don't care. Like, you know what? 
whatever. We we didn't win the games we needed to win to be in the national contingent that we thought we were going to be. Our motivation differential is not great. We're not coming out. Liberty pops off a few, uh, a few quick plays. So kind of telling that antagonistic story in my mind, um, I kind of started to think about a Liberty team total over because, and I'll tell you why it wasn't. It got up into like 24, 24 and a half, and, and I, I just couldn't go that high. But I was like, all right, Jamie Chadwell, funky offense. Uh, Oregon doesn't care very much. What if Liberty scores on both scripted drives, right? They come out, they dial up something completely freaking weird, and they score on both of those. It's the 15th best offense in the nation for EPA per play. Then all you need is like a touchdown for them to go over 20. I was flirting with it, but at 24, it's a little too high here. I can't take Liberty with the number at all. Their defense is 100th in EPA per play. Oregon's going to score. I think this just comes down to, is Oregon going to be motivated enough? Bucky Irving probably on a pitch count, I'd, I'd imagine, just given running back is such a high volatile plays. We saw Troy Franklin um, not, not going to play. So I, I think this is one where I was going to sit and say, you know what, a live um, – it might make more sense to look at this live and see did Oregon come to play or not and see if you can grab before the market overreacts rather than tie up early. But I agree, it's it's hard to not just say Oregon minus whatever here. You thinking that, have you considered the over at all? It opened at, let's see here, it opened at 65 and a half. It's now 67, 48, 21 gets us over, 45, 24 gets us over. If you're flirting with I, 20 already and Oregon, as we know very well, can put up points. I have this at 48, 20. I do. Um, I don't know that I trust it enough. Uh, it's very possible Oregon shuts it down. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, 30 to three, right. That's an absolutely dominant win. I just, I, I, I don't know. 30, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of ways Oregon could win this and Liberty could not score enough. Um, and so I just don't, I just really don't trust Liberty as a team. Uh, and then combined with the uncertainty of Oregon's motivation, I just couldn't pull the trigger. I can, and again, this is where bowl games are so difficult. Bowl games are so fluky, and we see all that line movement. And before we get into the playoff games, I want to reference that line movement. We referenced the Ohio State-Missouri game. Field goal, the field goal, and back again. This is why you'll see that line movement start, folks, and that's when you should shop more than ever. That's why you and I use, as a, as a betting tool, odds comparison tool like BetStamp, it compares the odds so you can see which books are moving a little bit slower and if you see a book start to move, you can check betstamp.app real quick and find a book that hasn't moved as quickly. And that is another way to capitalize in bowl season. When there's so much steam going into kickoffs and lines move so wildly, you can catch a book that is slow on the draw. We use betstamp.app. Betstamp.app slash hit the books or the link in the description will help make us look good to the powers that be. And, and that's why we also have the QR code. Whenever we mention a book, you scan the QR code. It gets you to those books a little bit quicker. This is why we, we try to always remind you to shop. It's the easiest way to improve as a sports better. It saves you time and money. And these bowl games, Oregon Liberty could steam right before kickoff. I'm not saying it will, but it could. And that way you can see which book might be a little bit slow and capitalize on it. Now that I've said that, Parker, we should devote all of our attention to supposedly the only two games that matter. The only games that matter whatsoever, right? Nothing else in college football matters except those two games. Yeah, yeah, just the, you know, been waiting all season for these two. I think we can finally appreciate college football now that the college football playoff is here. Uh, I've been so sick, Douglas, of all year having to just pretend to care about games that don't matter. And now we're finally at the only good part of college football, the uh, the playoff here. Putting all of that in the box, um, 
I I think that uh, we've got two really good games here. Uh, Alabama, Michigan, obviously, uh, it should that's the one we'll go to first. That opened Michigan minus one and a half. It's still sitting right there. The total has come down a little bit. Douglas, part of the reason it's sitting where it is is uh, just limits are not huge uh, yet. So I imagine we'll see a little bit movement. I, I have to guess it, and and correct me on this if I'm wrong. I'd have to guess that Alabama ends up as a favorite. This is going to close Alabama minus one, right? Um, boy, I hadn't thought about, um, again, folks, this is why you shop. I believe you can get this right now anywhere from one to two, which obviously matters a great deal in a game of this, this note would Al- I don't think Alabama closes a favorite Parker. If you pull up quick, quick power ratings that we respect, I don't think Alabama closes as a favorite. I think this ends somewhere between half a point and two, um, so pretty much where we are right now, Michigan is intact minus guard Zach Zinter, but you, ha- I, I did not see that question coming and I'm a little flummoxed. I don't think, I don't think <laughs> Alabama ends up. I don't think it does. I all due respect to Nick Saban, all due respect to the, the Dinkenbaum offense. I don't think they end up a favorite. I think the key here for, for Michigan is, is kind of weird. If I can get weird for a second. Um, Michigan oh, is just a second. Are you going to be able to limit yourself to just a second? <laughs> Michigan's 125th in rush rate over expected against teams are rushing against Michigan six percentage points more than the, than average. Um, Michigan's rush defense is 13th in EPA per play allowed. Their pass defense is third in EPA per play allowed. Now I think what Michigan has not seen that Alabama has is a quarterback who is of this versatility, not, not just this quality. Cause I think, um, uh, I, I, why am I stuck on Joe Milton? My gosh, Jalen Milrow has Joe gotten Milton. so he's much better. In college football in 2023. We all know this. He's burned in my brain. Now when I close my eyes, I see Joe Milton's face. Jalen Milrow has gotten much better. And, uh, you know, as much as the dink and bomb is a joke, it's also a philosophy, right? And what it really does is allow them to have an option on every play. I, uh, Michigan has not seen a quarterback that can run like this and, and do this, this successfully and hit those downfield passes. I think the stress on Michigan's defense, bringing that rush rate over expected down, passing, being a little bit more aggressive and having the QB outlet is, is really going to change. Now, both of these teams change how the defense for Michigan plays. Both of these teams have looked beatable at multiple times this season. They've looked bad against, um, you know, certain teams. Now, Michigan, you can say they look bad against some better teams. Um, but even that Iowa game, a lot of that had to do with Iowa making mistakes. And good teams capitalize on bad teams' mistakes. Don't hear what I'm not saying there. But I think the biggest question for me, Douglas, is can Michigan do two things? Can they rely on a passing offense to overcome a potential deficit with J.J. McCarthy? Uh, I don't know that they've seen him at, at a deficit in a stress situation. And I don't know that they've played full four quarters of football this entire season. Think about that eight-minute drive, touchdown drive in, in the Penn State second half where they're able to say, eh, we're just going to run the ball. We don't need to do anything. Uh, can they do that against Alabama? I'm not sure. So those are my questions uh, going into this game. What are, what are your thoughts? A question about your numbers. I know with your rank like uh, EPA per pass, there's some recency built into the numbers intentionally so so that the last four games last six games carry more weight than september does that factor into a simple like factual statement like rush rate over expected as well or is that season long just truly season long no that's season long yeah i would assume and assume rather confidently that 
Opponents' RROE, rush rate over expected against Michigan, was higher in the first half of the year because Michigan was just so pasting those lightweights that Michigan packed it up in the second half, but so did they. And so I would I would speculate here rather confidently that this 6% rush rate over expected against quality opponents is probably more like 4.5 or 4, which quickly brings it to the rate of offense that Alabama likes to function at, which is 3.3% rush rate over expected. So I do think you might be overstating that aspect a little bit simply because – who they play is Bowling Green and UNLV. What were they gonna? What were they gonna do except for just pack it in? Yeah, ext- extremely fair, and I love the nuance there because I think that I think that is I think that is a fair way to think about you know the behavior is is what are those teams going to be able to do? So if you're not convinced, like I I think that's more of a here's Alabama's path to victory is the fact that they can kind of exploit a defense that hasn't really had to handle pass um, with with the quarterback run. But I, I, I think that's certainly an open question whether it actually will happen. Now, Parker, to ask a very similar question as I just did, I know to start the year, your rush rate over expected includes a little bit of last season. That fades out very quickly, correct? Yes, it's basically um, a kind of a padding approach where it's saying, you know, I'm going to give you basically three games worth of stats based on last year, and I'm going to give you three games to kind of tell me who you are, and it phases out pretty quickly. So how about this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Through eight games this year, I just pulled up one of your old previews. Through eight games this year, Michigan's opponents were rush, rushing 7.6% more than expected. And the last four dropped that to six. I pulled up your Michigan-Purdue preview from November 1st. So that right there effectively proves my point that the more quality opponents, the Penn States, the Ohio States, did not run as much against Michigan. And that number is therefore inflated. And I think... I'm going look, I'm obviously biased in this game. Uh, we are positive across the board in everything we've done this year, except futures, because we're waiting on my Michigan to win the playoff bid. And if that happens, we finish in the black in everything we've done. So obviously I'm trying to make sure I can still believe in Michigan. I'm not going to bet this game because I'm already committed in that respect, but I do like the thought that Michigan's defense can stand up to this, this Alabama approach and Michigan doesn't give up that many explosive plays either, which the Dinkin bomb does need to survive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely there. Um, I, I think that if you, if you made me right, if you were saying, you absolutely have to pick a pick here. I just pick Saban as an underdog. And I think you have a track record picked, this year and that has worked out for you. I think I might've picked Harbaugh as an underdog. If you gave it to like, I think I would just have picked the underdog in this game either way here, but I do like what Alabama's doing on offense. And I think their defense can, you know, if, if Alabama can get a lead and, and force Michigan to have to come from behind, I, I, I just think that that's a terrible, terrible situation for Michigan. I don't know. They're super built for that. So frankly, um, I'd say the same thing on the other side of the ball. If Michigan can get up 10, zero, it's going to try the Penn State second half of just running the ball. And as good as Alabama's defense is, I don't know that there's anybody's defense in this in the country that can live up to Michigan just, oh, we're going to run now. Like, tough break. We're going to run now. And I just want a real quick note. I kept my calm as Rutgers blocked a punt for a touchdown to retake the lead. I played it cool here. I'm very proud of myself. Uh, but that's where I think I don't recommend live betting playoff games. But if either of these teams takes a 10-0, 10 an early two-possession lead, I'm going to assume that team's got the game. Well, speaking of live betting and speaking of the playoff games, let's go to the next one because here's, here's, easy, here's an easy trick. This is almost like a drinking game for, for Texas with Washington. If you I, need any I, encouragement. I know exactly what you're about. I, 
I do this sometimes. <laughs> I don't do the drinking game version. I, I'm almost positive I know what you're going to suggest. When Texas crosses the 30, bet the under. <laughs> this, is, this is not a joke, folks. To give my favorite example of this, in Alabama, Georgia, the national championship game back in 2021, I was very much on Georgia, and I locked myself away and did not bet the game. But some friends asked me, hey, if you didn't have anything, what would you do? And I said, whenever Alabama gets into scoring position, I would live bet the under. And I think Alabama's first three quality drives that game yielded only field goals. It builds up like that. And this is Texas football. This is why I've doubted Texas football all year. And this is why our two plays today line up on doubting Texas football where it matters the most. I don't want to play a side in this game. I don't, I just don't want to do it. I'm Washington has got me on the two games where I where I've, where I've, where I've had them not favored this season. They got me. They beat Oregon twice. Good for them. Um, but I, I think that where I'm actually more interested here is in an under, um, and that's going to be my play for this game. I have this at 62 points. This total is still sitting up there at 60, um, 64. I think you can see 63 and a half. Um, the best play here is producer Jacob is highlighting is going to give me good old reliable, uh, sugar house, uh, is going to give me under 64. This is why we shop. Love it. Love shopping there. I think that both teams are, are, are really good in the past, but both defenses are really good in the past. I expect to see Texas rush a little bit more and try to take advantage of Washington's 65th EPA per rush. Uh, on the other side of the ball, I, I just don't know that Washington will be able to run enough um, against Texas to, to kind of take a, take any pressure off their passing game at all here. So I think this is a battle of kind of strength on strength that's going to encourage mo- both teams to run a little bit more. I think Texas, as we've said, struggles really to finish in the red zone. And even as Washington is 100th in points per quality possession allowed, Texas is still 106th in, in, in points per quality possession. So um, I, I I have this super close. I have this within a field goal. Don't love a side here, but we saw a game, you know, similar to this 2027 last year. I think there's a lot of ways for this game to be kind of fast paced, high octane and still go under. So I like the under in this matchup. Now I do know you said whenever Texas crosses the 30 and the technical definition of a quality drive is a first down inside the 40. You're just trying to remove some nuance of second and six on the 38. So anytime Texas is inside the 30, I, I understand betting that under, And I recognize that's why big part of why you're taking that under and I'm not scared off of my play here. My play would sound like a shootout play, but really I'm doubting Texas to finish those drives. We know Washington's going to put up points. Michael Penix presumably is healthy. He had a month like we were worried about that going into that Oregon Pac-12 championship game and he got the job done, but We've been wondering about him for most of the second half of the season. If Michael Penix Jr. is firing away on all cylinders again, that only enforces I'm taking a Washington money line. I've got it at plus 158 at Caesars. I know Washington is going to put up points. I don't know that Texas won't botch multiple red zone drives. If they botch one against this Washington offense, that might be one too many, and I'm willing to take that chance on this kind of value at 158. Yeah, I, I think makes makes a ton of sense there. I mean, Texas was what one for eight in uh, scoring up, scoring a touchdown on scoring opportunities against Texas Tech the last game they played. Uh, excuse me, before the Big Twelve Championship. And uh, I, I think what we're really looking at is um, if it, you know Texas might get more opportunities than Washington, but they, but but not finish them at a rate where Washington can get those explosive plays and and overcome. Uh, absolutely, I, I do think that these are correlated outcomes because. Um, 
and under means Washington is scoring. Texas is not. Um, and, and Washington's able to play keep away a little bit. So I, I do like that. These are, these are related, but I, I think, you know, betting against Texas, just with their inability to finish, it's, it's very, very, it's very, very prudent. It has come so close and I'm not going to go through the list. I've been harping, you know, I've been harping on it for most of the season. It has come so close to burning Texas against the middle tier of the big 12, not, not the dregs, not the, the basement of the big 12 that we kind of marveled at how bad it was, but it came so close to costing them multiple times. It did cost them against Oklahoma. Washington's better than all those teams, like leaps and bounds better than all those teams. No disrespect to the top tier of the big 12 this year, but Washington's really good. Texas cannot afford its crippling habit. And it's a habit. Like I don't, you you opened this with if you want to live bet a playoff game if you want to have a drinking game bet the under whenever Texas is in scoring position that's not it's not a joke it's it's a valid approach to this game and that alone I'm getting that at value you're getting a, an inflated total heck yes I, Texas feel free to stub your toe on first and goal from the nine we know you're capable of it. Texas this season is just like Michael Scott. They've made things way harder than they need to be. And uh, I think that, I think that it's going to carry. And, and I mean, I don't know, my, my friend, uh, Ed Egros asked me this. He, he had me on bet, bet, bet QL um, this morning and, and was asking about, you know, do you think Steve Sarkeesian's thinking about trying to keep anything in the tank for the national championship? And I think if he censors his playbook at all, that's only going to go further towards them struggling in the red zone. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly see how that turns out, but uh, I agree. I like, I like both of our plays here. We, we will count on Texas to Britta in the scoring air, scoring zone and both of us can therefore capitalize. And Parker, what do you know? We have finished off bowl season in an even 45 minutes today. A reminder, there will be a national championship preview. Details are being nailed down, but as Parker said to start the show, subscribe to Hit the Books HQ. Uh, follow Hit the Books HQ on Twitter and the Hammer Betting Network. Follow Parker, follow myself on Twitter, and we will let you know once those details are nailed down. There will be some version of a national championship preview, but until then, we've now gotten through every bowl game, and Rutgers is still leading about to get the ball back. Love that. Uh, love that for them. This has been uh, very fun to get through all these bulls, Douglas. Uh, best of luck in all your bets. And um, let's do a recap. Let's let's fire through. Oh, our let's plays. do a recap. Let's do our best. I, let's do our best plays. All right, I what am do you all have? over Wyoming by three and a half in the Greg Bowl, the Craig Bowl farewell. I am all over Oregon by 16 and a half because there's no number big enough to stop Bo Nix from hanging it on Liberty. And I'm on Washington plus 158 because the Texas offense, Texas offense will presumably put up too many bagels in the red zone. Did Rutgers just get a – oh, no, that was a replay. Okay, I thought Rutgers got another special teams play. Uh, I've got four plays today. I'm going to take Mississippi plus four and a half. That's minus 105 at FanDuel. Uh, Auburn minus six and a half, minus 110 at FanDuel. LSU minus nine and a half. That's minus 110, 118 at FanDuel. And an under on Washington, Texas. Uh, you can get that at 64 at Bet River Sugar House minus 109. Those are my – Four plays for this week. We've got those locked in. You can follow us over on the Bet Stamp app at Never Punt, Never Parlay. Um, until the national championship preview, thank you all for being here, watching along, following along. I'm Parker Fleming. That's Douglas Farmer. This has been Never Punt, Never Parlay. See you next time.